Hello everyone, Trish Guys here, divorce and pre-mediation coach. Welcome to Shit I Learned from My Divorce, a show where I share with you the good, the bad, and the ugly of what I learned from my divorce. 12 years of trying to live my life while my former partner was trying to destroy it. Trish Guys is not a legal professional, nor a licensed mental health professional. The information she provides is not intended to be legal advice and is intended only for informational and entertainment purposes. Some of the topics on the show may be triggering for some, so please use caution and your own discretion. Topics discussed on the show may not be suitable for young children. I do this show for a couple of very important reasons. The first one being that I feel we need to normalize the behaviors and the craziness that occur during a separation and divorce. It's helpful for both the people going through a divorce and those around them to understand what to expect and how to handle it. Going through a divorce is like nothing else that you will ever experience in life. Number two, I want to prompt you to start thinking about things in a different manner so you don't have to make the same mistakes I did. I also hope to fill some of the knowledge gaps you may have and provide you with some ideas or solutions for what is troubling you at the moment. And most importantly, I would love for you to walk away from each episode just a little bit stronger, feeling a bit more validated and a little more settled because you have a bit of knowledge in your toolkit. So I recommend after listening to each episode, take a few minutes and think about what you've heard. What resonated with you? Do some things seem a bit more clear to you now? Or do you need to do a bit more digging? The whole purpose of my show is to get you to see things perhaps in a different light or for you to slow down or step back a little bit and make sure that you're clear about what you're doing, but more importantly, why you're doing it as opposed to reacting. Okay, with that in mind, let's get on with the show. Thank you for having me. It is always a pleasure. I think today's going to be a really great conversation, just like last time was, but we're going to be doing something just a little bit differently. We're just going to basically have a casual conversation like you and I often have and go through a little bit of your newest venture that I want everyone to hear about because I think it's a great idea and I think everyone can take advantage of it and learn a lot from it. And then we'll just go from there and we'll see how it goes. All right, I'm game. You are the founder and creator of Co-Parenting College. Tell us all about what that is and why you decided to create it. Oh, well, at first, let's go back a little bit because I'm chuckling at the new venture because it was a long time coming. <laughs> it's grounded on 19 years of working in this industry and probably two and a half years of developing it from all sorts of perspectives. And it came about because I so often do parenting coordination and co-parenting coaching. And in those meetings, it felt to me like we were always putting up fires, sort of immediate concerns and solving a problem. And some of the, well, a lot of the really important foundational stuff and information that you can actually use and do something with to help your kids, we just didn't have time for that. Or it was never presented sort of in a cohesive package that you can just return to. So there were some limitations I found. And so I thought, you know what, I need to just find a way to get this information to people in a really concise, curated manner that they can digest and watch again and again if they need to, and to take the nuggets out of it that they feel will be very useful in their situation. I think that's so valuable. But I also think not just for co-parents, it sounds like something that really should almost be mandatory as soon as you have a child, even beforehand, be handed this. Because I know thinking back to my parenting days, and even now, parenting adults, 
there's so much we don't know. And we often don't get a chance to uh, learn as we go. You have to kind of hit the ground running. And there's so much, like, you know, I've talked, you and I have talked about many situations, even just regular parenting. I would have loved to have had a little bit of a handbook because all we can go by is how perhaps we were parented and or how we don't want to create recreate that. But we don't really, I know I didn't, I had to really think about what kind of parent do I want to be? How do I want to communicate to my kids? What do I want to communicate? And so I think this is a fantastic idea. And I love the, the concept of it, the co-parenting college, because I consider parents and then, you know, your original, your original family, they're co-parenting as well. Or not co-parenting in some cases, right? We only have one person parenting. So I love that concept. And I love the fact that you can keep revisiting it and refreshing your information. And what's that like? So are, are they videos or are they documents? What what is it consist of? Yeah, it's it's the vision with it was to be we were having a sit-down, me and whoever that might be, talking about co-parenting. And if they were asking uh, to tap into what I've learned over the years, it would be a bit conversational. I would be saying to you, hey, here, here's what I know. And here's a way to look at it. And here's a way to keep yourself grounded and not get stuck in the muck. So it's a series of videos. And within those videos, there's some clips, some animated clips of information sharing. There's a workbook that goes with each of the lessons so that you can take what you've heard and contextualize it and make it fit for your situation. There's a few quizzes in there, but they're fun quizzes. You do not have to pass them. This is not a high pressure kind of a program, <laughs> but they're ways to help you integrate your learning. And I've tried to supplement that with little bite-sized snippets of information on platforms like Instagram and LinkedIn and, and Facebook that are just supplemental to the course. I like that because, you know, it's, it's a nice quick note and it can be a, uh, an impetus to go and look at other more, uh, you know, more information, but I, I like I like the posts and uh, they they always intrigue me because they are even sometimes just a, a daily reminder as to what to do. So I want to move on. What would you say one of the things that's most important in what we should be teaching our children? You know, we talk. You and I talk a lot about uh, critical thinking and and you know how do we go about that? How do we help kids think critically? Because even if you're not involved in a divorce people are going to experience adversity. And I know many times people that I speak to, they're so worried about protecting their children, and rightfully so. But sometimes I think we go too far to the other side and try to protect them from everything and kind of create a bubble around them. And, and then perhaps they're not as prepared in life to deal with certain adversities. So does the college or, or, or you in your practice, do you talk about that, about helping kids develop those crucial critical analysis skills and thinking skills that seem to sometimes be lacking in the world today? Trish, you are the queen of big questions, I'll tell you. <laughs> no, I'm just a big talker, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me try to break that down a little bit. Yes. So in the context of co-parenting, co-parenting college, the course that I offer is difficult co-parenting. And often within the dynamics of difficult co-parenting, will be, you know, maybe allegations that one parent is bad-mouthing the other or interfering in their relationship with the other, or the kids are trapped in the middle of a parenting conflict. And so when you speak about critical thinking, the course talks about how to help your kids think critically. And that becomes important because when you are hearing uh, negative information 
between parents, it's really tough for kids not to want to align with what they're hearing. They're, they're in that loyalty bind. Do I believe it? Do I not? And you do not want to throw your co-parent under the bus and say, well, that's a bunch of garbage, whatever he said. This is how it really is. That just further immerses them. And so in the course, talk about ways that you can ask your child, what do you think about that? Do you think mom would approach it like that? Or have you noticed dad approaching things like, like this in, in before in these ways? And one of the things with critical thinking is that you must be able to allow your child to disagree with you. That mm. is how they learn to critically think. And so, you know, even the simplest things about let's have a debate. What side of the argument mm. would you like to take? Two minutes later, let's switch sides. It should be that easy to share different perspectives. And it's not an argument and it's not a problem. And no one's forcing anyone into alignment with their position. That is the foundation of critical thinking. I like that. I'm just thinking, gosh, I'd almost like to go back in time and do some of these things with my kids, you know, but it's never too late because I love that. I loved as a kid, I loved debating. And I find, yeah, in the world today, there's either extreme arguing or polarization, or we're constantly agreeing. But I love that you're, you know, it's so important to create a safe space, even for an adult, really, like in, a, in, a, in a, uh, an adult relationship, to have it be safe so that you can explore different ideas. Maybe nobody's right, but to explore that instead of having to align with anyone, and we start to squash that. And I think, I don't know if we realize sometimes how much we squash that in kids with the whole doing things the certain way or doing things the right way. And kids, you know, always want to please and, or, or trying not to get into trouble. And, you know, I, I really feel like we need to, as a society, you know, school can only do so much, but at home, I agree with you that we need to allow kids to be able to think for themselves and explore different things. But I like how you did that as opposed to uh, it's so easy to vilify or to criticize the other side. And it's, we're not always right. You may think that we are, but I, I really like that. That that must what does that do to kids? So when you when you talk about what what you just said, what does that do to kids? That makes them feel more comfortable, obviously, but does that lessen their stress level? What's that like for kids when they hear that as opposed to vilifying the other parent or being pitted in the middle between your parents? I would say to you what it does is it keeps your relationship with your child really relational. And it keeps it within the dyad it should be, you and your child. So instead of you making commentary about the other parent, you now are bringing it into the connection between the two of you. So, hey, what do you think about that? So now you've become curious about your child and you've been very respectful in soliciting their views. And the other thing that we talk about, or we meaning me <laughs> in, the, in the program, is the power in saying to your child... Do you want me just to listen to you or would you like mm. to listen to you and to give you some advice? Mm -hmm. Again, such a respectful and relational way. And you'd be shocked how many times, well, I just, I'm shocked how many times my kids will say, just listen to me. Yeah. Now, they might come back two hours later and say, okay, now tell me what you think. But it's just, I think, really important. The base is, what do you think? What do you want from me? What can I offer you? Because I think sometimes, especially in difficult co-parenting situations, yeah. Listening doesn't feel like enough. We want to do something. We want to get in there. We want to help our kids. My child is hurting. You know, mom has been disrespectful. Mom won't let them go to the birthday party. All of these things that are so tough to watch your kids struggle with. You know, and I think it's really important, you know, the way you're describing it too. I envision for kids 
when you do that, you might be only one of a few, if any, people in the child's life that's actually stopping and respecting the fact that the child has an opinion or has a feeling and wants to hear it. You know, so often we don't stop. I wonder even if it's adults, how often do we really stop to to not only ask, but to really listen and just listen. And I know in adult relationships, the same thing too. I see it all the time on different posts where, you know, people are particularly saying to men, you know, don't always try and fix things. You've got to listen. And I think I've caught myself doing that many, many times, even with my adult children, where I don't know everything. Just because I've done certain things before, there's certain things that it doesn't mean it's going to be the same for them. And so I'm always asking. I even even now when they say, um, you know, if my son just uh, had, a, had an exam in his, his course and I think did really well. But instead of, oh, wait, I'm so proud of you and whatnot, I asked him how he felt about that. Because I don't, I'm so afraid, not afraid, but I'm so reluctant to place my expectations or my feelings on them. I want to hear about them first. And I feel like it's made a difference. I haven't asked them yet, but I, I know how I would feel if I was, I was the recipient of that. 100%. And we're learning so much more about the science of relationship. And like, let's face it, when, when kids are little, you know, you might get away with powering over and, you know, timeouts and all these things that, that we've become accustomed to in parenting. And, and, and I'm not so sure that that's the best way to do it. But nevertheless, that's how, that's how it seems to happen. But at some point, you lose your traction. You, they become old enough to go, yeah, no. Right. And what are you left with? It is the relationship and the respect in that relationship and the the mutuality in ways. And that doesn't mean that you still can't be a parent. It is. But that's where your power is. And I think that is where your influence comes from, is that your kids know that when they come to you, you're going to want to know their perspective. You're not just going to trample them over uh, over with your views on top of them. You're not going to impose what you think. Um, or what you should do, you're going to open it up and explore it. And that to me is where a lot of the relational influence comes from. Did you think then, so let's say we have a scenario where, you know, I hear a lot of this, where you have one parent who is is trying hard to, you know, be the adult and, and not put the kids in, in, in harm's way or within the conflict. And you have the other parent who's having difficulty emotionally regulating and perhaps is parentifying the children a bit and, and involving them. Do you think then that with what we're, we're talking about now and, and really uh, being child-centered and making sure that you're not imposing anything on your child or putting them in the middle, will that help them not only critically analyze and think about things, but will that, that be easier for them to then discern what's really going on? And what I mean by that is not choosing sides necessarily, but I have a lot of parents that are concerned that they're going to, quote unquote, believe the other parents' lies about them. And they're so worried about that, that they either try and explain that away to the child. No, it's not like this. It's like this. And then, of course, involving them. Or they trip over themselves to try and compensate for that to prove that they're not like what dad or mom is saying. So so in teaching them these critical thinking skills and, and, and um, parenting in the way that you've been talking about, will that help the children? sort of decipher what's really going on here and to be able to think for themselves that no, mom is not evil or dad's not evil and not listen to some of the untruths perhaps they're being told. There is nothing more powerful than your lived experience. I can tell you all day long that, you know, Mr. Jones is a really nice guy, but if every time you walk past his yard, he's yelling at you and telling you to get out, what carries more weight? What mom thinks or what you've experienced? And that lived experience is powerful. And I think it's a really, really effective way to 
thwart some of that backlash or the back talk that you might get or the um, bad mouthing that you might get because you cannot control your co-parent. What your co-parent does, your co-parent does, and you might have um, a decent co-parent, you might have a really horrible co-parent. You might have one that consistently puts these kids in the middle. Sometimes there's nothing you can do about that. And that is really, really hard to hear. But if you focus on what you can't do as opposed to what you can, you're missing the boat because your power is in knowing what you can control and what you can't. And I always say it is a serious anguish trap to um, confuse what you can and can't control. And there is so much that you can do. And we're talking about it here. It is really that relationship that you have. The healthier that relationship is, the more effective that relationship is, the more fortified it is against any kind of bad mouthing on the other side. You know, I think that's such a good reminder. And that's why I think this college, again, is such a good idea. Just because, you know, I remember back in the day, and I know a lot of people that I work with, they just need, they don't need need a fix necessarily. At first, they think they do. You know, just tell me what I have to do and I'll do it. And I just want this to go away. I mean, yeah, but that's not how life works, right? They just want some guidance. I find a lot of people need some reassurance that if I'm doing this, you know, doing what comes naturally, like, you know, know, most of us don't want to involve our children. But then, of course, we're worried about all these other things going on. We just have a little bit of guidance and reassurance that says, you know what, just stay the course, just do this. It may feel really crummy right now. You're right. You might get some backlash. You know, and and kids are kids, right? You're still going to get some behaviors. And plus, they're going through things. We can't forget that. But that to, you know, on days that are really tough to know, okay, they're going to be okay. I keep doing this. This is the best thing for them. Because I think a lot of people lose sight of that or, or, or don't know. They're just praying and hoping that it works out. But with your guidance and with the college, I know for me, it would have made a heck of a difference. Even if I ended up with the same results, at least I could know along the way that I'm doing and I know I'm doing what's best for the children. But that to me was such a mind meld and trying to balance every day and think, am I ruining them? Am I helping them? Am I doing the best thing? And there was really nothing out there to to point me in that direction. And I know I talked to a lot of people who feel the same way. You're talking about some of the co-parenting traps, right? And in the course, I talk about when you are plugged in to your co-parents energy or their criticism or your worry and this anxiety about how are my kids going to turn out am I doing all the right things that really does alter how you how you parent right and so when you're plugged into that the course we talk about what is triggering you what are you going to do about those triggers how do you bring it down so that your responses are calm and rational and clear and you don't have a crystal ball but you have what you know to be true, we are really intuitive beings, right? And if you can get rid of the noise and keep your parenting in your home the way that you think feels right and make your home that refuge where kids put their shoulders down. And, and you know, we talk a lot about and what we know about is this keep your nervous system steady. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have ups and downs, but if home, your home is a place where their shoulders go down they can regulate, they can share all their feelings, and they're not going to get a massive blow up response. What did you just say? You are on the right path and you are leaps and bounds ahead if you can stay that course and unplug from the noise. So you need to de- detach and unhook from all that stuff that that those co-parenting traps that suck us into that. Yeah, that's so true. And as you're saying that too, I can go back and think of it's so easy to do. I mean, that's just a natural tendency to you know, it's not, you're not bad. You're not a terrible parent. It's natural, but it's, it's like anything, any relationship, it, it's work. Right. And, and, you know, as you're saying that I could feel my shoulders go down to me, 
you know, growing up and even now as an adult, I myself, not just for my kids, but I myself want to be able to have my home as my safe refuge, you know, where, and I used to use it as that, still do, but, you know, even on the crummiest days, sometimes I literally would just kind of look at four walls of the room I'm in and think, okay, I'm safe. Okay. I'm comfortable. And it's like this, you know, I don't know, comfortable bowl of mashed potatoes or something, whatever is your comfort food or comfort thing, or, or like your grandma's arms or whatever it is, that's what home should be. And I, I think for me, there's nothing, there's not, a, there's no better legacy or no better compliment than to know that your kids can come back here, good day, bad day, whatever. And just, I don't care, you know, root through the fridge, root through the cupboards and go sit in the, and you don't have to entertain, you don't have to talk, just sit on the couch and just feel like it's home. But I think everyone should have that. And Everyone should feel like they are, it's okay to be you. You know, there's so much in the world we see that everyone's trying to change everybody and everyone has to be homogeneous and, and know it. It's, it's, it's a tough world out there. And so if we can make our home like that for our kids, it's the one safe place in the world. I think you've, there's nothing more important in the world that you could probably do other than that. hundred percent. And with co-parenting, one of the, what happens is kids come back from mom's house into your home and let's say they're, misbehaving and and you know they're not adjusting well and and all of a sudden now we're going that's not going to fly in my home you don't get to do that and this is your mom's influence and we don't use those words here and you know what when those kids transition into your care the number one thing should be calm let's all breathe this is not the time for you shouldn't be doing that and you know the rules in my home and you better change your attitude right now stop let them acclimate this is not the time to discipline. This is not the time. Just keep it quiet. Let them spread out to their rooms if that's what they need to do. Let them soothe and calm. There is time if you want to address a behavior, but it is not in that immediate period after transition. And in, and you've got to be very careful about attributing their behavior of that transition to the other parent. It doesn't mean something awful has happened during the other parent's parenting time. And it doesn't mean that they're a lousy parent. They might be, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. Um, but boy, kids need a place to put their shoulders down in the, after those transitions. And that is a serious co-parenting trap that, that, um, you see all the time. You know, and, and I wonder about that, you know, like I, I realize, you know, I myself experienced that so many people do. So what do you tell parents or on terms of like how, you know, even knowing that's what you need to do, it can be so difficult. I find a lot of parents struggle with the fact, and I've heard this many times, you know, I'm the one that's giving them unconditional love. I'm the one that's doing all of these, like the good parenting things. Yet I'm getting all the, the shit, frankly, where the kids feel so comfortable and it's their safe place that I'm getting all the nasty emotions because it's the only safe place they can express that. And so it can be very hard for them or, or um, they, you know, it's the only safe place where they can disagree and that kind of thing. And so they don't sometimes, certain periods, they don't get a lot of the fun. And so I know they find that a little bit demoralizing. I used to from time to time too, like, what's your take on that? How can, how can parents kind of weather that storm, even though, though knowing this is normal, but it's tough. Hugely tough. And if you are coming from the perspective that you have to undo the parenting in your co-parents home, that you have to make up for the deficits that you see, I'm going to tell you, you don't. Plan I for these I love that transitions. You that don't. Is awesome. That is awesome. I love that. You don't. Plan for these transitions so that when they come in, there's nothing planned but popcorn, right? And there's three bowls of popcorn on the table. And that's take your bowl, off you go, or whatever you want to do, right? It's it's a welcoming. You're not setting yourself up for, you know, oh, I gotta get back into the groove and stop, right? And oh, I love that. 
Yeah, yeah. You don't have to compensate for your co-parents parenting. You are enough. And if you do it well in your home, they're so going to absorb that. They, that mm-hmm. is powerful stuff, right? And if you're keeping them safe from that, that uh, loyalty traps and all that garbage, boy, you are the refuge. You are the place. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have to parent and do all that hard stuff. And yeah, it is tough. And when they're bringing you all their raw emotions, yeah, it is. It's a gift. Let me tell you, they've got mm-hmm. a parent who can handle it. Because it takes, we know that the number one predictor of resilience in kids is one parent who's got their act together, who's emotionally attuned and can, can, can do this. You're that parent. That's fantastic. Yeah. Embrace you know, that. No, I get, I get how hard that is. But you know, I, like, I, I hope people realize, and I, you know, cause I, I really, that is so powerful to me because I think uh, what I try and do is I try and put myself into the shoes. You know, so much of what kids go through and the difficulties they have, I would struggle with it as an adult. You know, if I had my parents, we're still together, but if I had them each telling me different stories or putting me in the middle, I'd be miserable. And I'm much older than kids are, right? I'm not a kid. And so I really can relate to that. But, you know, when we talk about being that safe refuge, and and I'm fortunate, I have that. I know even at my age that if something goes wrong, the first place I can go to is my parents house without a doubt there's no judgment there's no nothing it's oh my god my mom would give me the hug my dad would be like okay tell me about it what do we have to do and I know there will be no there's no blaming no how did this happen how did you let this happen and I tell you that not only makes me feel comforted and I may never have to use it and I have in the past but also it allows me to be free to make certain decisions or take certain risks that perhaps I wouldn't be because I know if something goes wrong, I've got that safe place to fall. So my point is, is that it's not just for when your kids are little, this is a lifelong thing that we all need, no matter how old we are. And it just makes life just that much easier and less stressful to handle and you can enjoy it better knowing that there's someone there to catch you if you fall. Trish, I couldn't agree more. And that is the very second lesson in the course is learning how to take a step out so that I said it before, you don't get stuck in the muck. When we get that that vision that's so tight in the day-to-day, you miss it. You must take a bigger approach to this. And whenever, and when you're responding to things like a nasty email or what have you, and you've got a big co-parenting decision and you guys are not seeing eye to eye, branch out a bit, right? Take a look at what are the things I want for my kid down the road? And is this the hill I want to die on? You really have to think about that because you could go to battle over everything. Now, there are things you definitely want to go to battle over. Absolutely. But if you are plugged into this conflict, you'll go to battle over everything. Everything will weigh you down. And so in in the, the course, learning what's important, what's not, and how you evaluate your own sense of what's important. It's not what I think is important. It's what Mm -hmm. you think is important for your family and for your child and for this particular child, because all our children are different. That's a good point, actually, that, yeah, we can't and we probably shouldn't be parenting our children the same way. Every single one of us is different and and the situations are different. And and so back to my point, too, about, you know, talking to my adult kids now about things. Or when I was in university, I really have to catch myself when they say that sometimes I just stop my sentence because I think that's the last thing they want to hear. It's like the old. You know, when I was in school, I, I I walked 15 miles back and forth in 10 feet of snow and that kind of thing. They don't want to hear that. You know, they just roll their eyes. And and um, I like hearing when kids are talking about things that I don't necessarily agree with or I don't know anything about. To me, I think 
when your kids can explore things like that and or be open to that, to me, that's a testament to parenting as well, too, because you're allowing, you're, you're allowing them the freedom to do things other than what mom and dad do and to not feel pressured to do things a certain way. I think the world has enough of that. I think, you know, some of the greatest inventions and greatest achievements are people either doing by accident or just doing something different than the way we always have. And that's the beauty of, like, you know, kids are little, they're exploring things, doing things differently. And sometimes along the way, that, that joy of discovery and that joy of doing something different kind of gets squashed. And your college, like a lot of what you talk about to me is, I know the focus is on difficult uh, parenting and, and, but a lot of it to me too is about kind of figuring out what's important. And like what you had said just a few minutes ago about what's important for you and for your family as opposed to being so reactive all the time, just to really figure out. We don't do that enough in life, period, I don't think, whether it's parenting or whether it's just life in general with other relationships. No, I agreed. I mean, and, and that doesn't mean that, um, you know, in the course, we don't go into the nitty gritties about, you know, how, how, to, how to communicate and how to effectively communicate. And, and, and frankly, how to not make communication worse, right? You might not right. be able to make it better, but you can sure as heck try not to make it worse, right? And what boundaries do you need to set? And, and how do you set those boundaries? And how do you evaluate? Because you know what? There are times when it's quite mm-hmm. okay to flex those boundaries and to change your mind on those and to remember why you set them in the first place. And is it time to loosen them? This is an ongoing, this is a lived experience. It's a morphing and changing experience. And so we're talking about boundaries and we're talking about communication and we're talking about how to help your kids. And we're talking about how you know you're in a relationship with a difficult co-parent. Because sometimes co-parenting is not going well and you can't figure out what the heck's going on. You might be with a high conflict personality. And so how do you identify that? How do you know? And how do you keep your eyes on that big picture? And how do you disengage and dis and detach from, from these yeah. traps and these power struggles? And how do you pick and choose what you're going to go to battle over what you're not? How do you identify your triggers? What drives you crazy, right? Mm-hmm. And how are you going to manage what drives you crazy? Right? Yeah. So it's, 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 it's the bigger picture. And it's also the right in the soup, right? <laughs> those details, those things that are happening on, on a very frequent basis with co-parenting because whether you like your co-parent or not there's a level of forced cooperation here that's expected right and it is in your best the kid's best interest for you to do that but boy that gets tough especially if you have a difficult co-parent on the other end exceptionally difficult you know i'm wondering is that so now we're talking about you decide what's important for you and what's working for you and that kind of thing I'm thinking back to not only my scenario, but other people's scenarios and whatnot too. And when you're dealing with somebody that's difficult, you know, oftentimes you feel like you're just playing a game of top potato or you're just, you know, walking on eggshells, that kind of thing. And then all sorts of emotions come in, resentment and, and emotional dysregulation and everything. But what I've often wondered is, and I've looked back on this, that in my haste into trying to um, protect the children and not speak ill of the other parents, all these other things and constantly second guessing, that I wonder how much of that is teaching the, the kids how to do that in the future. Do you know what I mean? So that like we're constantly teaching kids just inadvertently a lot of things about relationships, about standing up for yourself. And I know you talk a little bit about you talk about that in the college in the college where, you know, I think back and I think, my God, what did I teach them about how to handle certain situations? And I wonder how many parents actually stop and think about that because kids are aware of a lot of things we're not sure they're aware of and they are. You know, we have to really be cautious of how are we showing our kids 
how you handle certain situations. And not that they're necessarily going to do it the same way, but, uh, you know, when I talk to some parents, I talk about how important it is to also take care of yourself because I know there's lots of kids. Who, I don't know if there's any kid out there that wants to see their parents suffer. That's hard for them, you know, so and, and right. And you've got to kind of get your, even, even when the parents are older and we're adults, you need to, we're so focused sometimes too much. So on protecting the kids and everything's about the kids and we forget about ourselves. And I don't know if I want to be teaching my kids that I hate to think that they grow up to be adults and put themselves last. Uh, you know, I think that that relationship with your co-parent, whether it's a difficult one, whether it's a collaborative one, how you manage that is probably such a modeling uh, opportunity and experience for the kids. Because, you know, if you think that you can be really sweet to the, you know, the cashier at the store and all that kind of stuff, and then turn around and, and, and you know, rip your co-parent a new one, you mm-hmm. think that the kids don't notice that incongruency, right? right? You know, and so there's there's a, an authenticity here and, a, and an opportunity to, you know, really model good relational skills and healthy boundaries and all that kind of stuff and healthy coping. Even if your co-parent's difficult, it's not that you have to protect them from the fact that it's difficult. I mean, kids know when they're, they're your parents are in conflict, but it's how you manage that, right? And how you manage yourself. Your kids are watching you, right? right. What do you want them yeah. to see? They, exactly. I, I'm guessing you want them to see, oh, I'm going to take a breath here, right? Yeah. Right? Mom's just going to breathe or I'm going to stop and think about it. And, and you're teaching them, you know what? When you're really, really agitated, this is not a good time to respond. Like when you're breathing oh. fire, there is a better time to respond. I guarantee you that, right? So just these little things that you're going to be doing all the time in your relationship, if you're um, co-parenting and, and trying to manage it well, your kid's going to pick up on that. And you can even say it out loud. Ooh, now it's time to breathe, right? That's a great idea. Yeah, so that they know exactly what what's going on. And I think that uh, I used to do that too once in a while too, even to articulate like if I'm just having a rough time about something, or I, I tend to sometimes when I'm thinking, I have what they call resting bitch face, right? And my I, you know kids sometimes become very attuned to you know oh what's going on? You've got this look on your face or this mean face going on, and attributing things that really aren't necessarily there, especially in divorce situations. And so. I caught on to that. And so every once in a while, I would mention that, hey, I, and I wouldn't say go on and on, but you know, I was just thinking about something or I'm, I'm uh, contemplating something just so they know. And they'd be like, okay, off, off we go. So, you know, that was always a gray area for me too, because I didn't want to always have to, I didn't want to parent rentify them. I didn't want them to be my emotional crutch, but I also didn't want them kind of wondering because they would often not say anything. I didn't want them wondering and, or anyone, you know, even my husband at the time that just, you know what, I'm kind of off into space, but my face looks like I'm angry and it doesn't need to be. I have this face that if I'm not smiling, I look like a raging bitch, I guess. I don't know, but, but I, I wanted to make sure. And, you know, it helps apparently that to know that uh, everything's okay or that you're just having a particularly rough day. I've even before too, and I've messed something up, like I lost my, my shit somewhere out, out in the world. And I didn't handle things very well. Let's say it's cashier or some a road rage or something. I often would then say, "Oh my God, guys, I'm so embarrassed, or I'm so sorry that I did not handle that well." And I got that my emotions got the better of me. And trying to normalize that that happens, but I'm not going to beat myself up about it. Next time, I'm just going to kind of take a breath. And I've noticed. I don't know if that made a difference, but I've noticed my kids are not as hard on themselves with certain things. It's kind of like, yeah, we messed up. And because kids, I think, grow up thinking mom and dad got it all together, which we sure don't. And I think puts a lot of pressure on them to have to get it right the first time. Oh, gosh. The ability to say to your kids, whoo, 
I didn't manage that very well. I'm sorry. You know what I should have done? I should have done this. I should have had a cup of tea. That is what the real answer was, right? (laughs) Um, And and if you ever put your kids in the middle, and because we do, you know, we're normal, we're human, we screw up, you fall into co-parenting traps. It's okay to say, ah, I wish I had done that different. I'm really sorry. I can do better, right? And the thing about an apology, first of all, it needs to be extended, but you need to follow through on that. You need to actually try to do better, right? Not just words are, are meaningless, without the actions that come with them. And, but yeah, do I think it's hundred percent okay to apologize to your kids? Yeah, a lot. And it should be done, right? Mm-hmm. We're human, we screw up. It's, it's totally yeah. What are your thoughts on um, talking to kids about, let's say, so, you know, same topic, you know, you've, you've, you messed up a bed. Let's say, you know, you re- really blew it with co-parenting, but you know, you went to co-parenting college and you learned what the right things to do are. And you want to, you want to try this. You want to, you want to do your best. What are your thoughts then on does one, men, depending on the age, does one mention to the child that, look, you know what, I've messed up in the past and I've taken this course or, or whatever it is you want to say. And I've learned some new things and learned some new ways of doing things that I'm going to be trying. I may mess it up, but I'm going to be trying. Is that okay or not? And then my second part of the question is, then do you in future ask your kids, how am I doing? I, I wonder about that. What's, what's appropriate and what's not? It is like a report card. I think there's huge power in saying, here's my goal. I am not going to complain about dad. I'm not going to talk bad about dad. I've done that in the past and I've learned it's not the right thing to do. I'm going to stop. And now you're not asking the kid to um, hold you account, like, like to be your control. I mean, you take responsibility for what you're going to do here. But you might say, hey, I've been doing this now for a couple of weeks and how am I doing? Give me a report card. That is like really bad. You know, A is like amazing. (laughs) And what can I do better? You know, I don't think that that's, I think that's perfectly okay. As long as you're not burdening your kids with you're responsible for telling me when I'm mocking up. Right. Right. No, right. But that permission to say, gee, I don't think you did so great last week when you said this about Auntie Trudy. Right. When you went off about her, you know, (laughs) I mean, to me, that's the sign of a really fantastic relationship between parent and child. Right. Like you shouldn't have called her a hag. Right. Or whatever it was. That wasn't okay. And it's like, oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, because I know we sometimes as parents we focus so much on like what you were talking about when the kids come home and we don't do this in this house and, and disciplining and correcting their behavior. But I know we all sometimes forget that we need to correct our own behavior first. And that must be really confusing for kids, I find. You know where I always was trying to think of that, you know, and almost hypocritical where, you know, we're telling the kids one thing, but then doing another. And now as an adult, I really reflect on that a lot and thinking, you know, how hard that must be, not only confusing, but also to think, how come I'm getting in trouble for that? But then you go and do that. You know, I wonder how often people think about that, right? It's going to be difficult. And they're little. And even when they're 18, they're still little and they're still learning. And, you know, it's going to be tough to be a kid sometimes when everyone's telling you what to do and no one's really asking you. And that's why I think it's so important when you talk about in co-parenting college, they might be just like, what? Someone's asking me how I'm feeling or what I'm doing and I actually want to hear. It could be life-changing for them because I don't know how often that happens in, in kids' lives because they're always told what to do and where to go and how to stand and how to do it properly. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> I, I kind of chuckle as you're saying that because I think you can also go to the other extreme. I know with my kids, I have asked, you know, things <laughs> and it's like, yeah, mom, it's great. Good. Goodbye. <laughs> right. Like, 
I got other things like I'm not interested in having this conversation, right? (laughs) And that needs to be completely okay. Like, okay, enough already, mom, stop. Right. And maybe that's just the perils of having a psychologist as a parent. I don't know, but (laughs) but know that you're going to maybe get some rebuff and don't take that personally. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's not always as important to them as it is to you. That's right. But you know what I love about that is that they feel comfortable in saying that, like, or rolling their eyes or whatever. They know they're not going to be get backlash it'll be it'll be oh okay and that's your feedback and you get it you can have a chuckle about it and and to me I think that's great like to be able to I think of a lot of people I know grew up in households that and even still now as an adult there's certain things you can't say certain things you can't do or you know even some people who have to choose a profession based on what their parents think and it always it's like a death punch for me I just think wow your life's not your own and 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 you know, sometimes that can be done so insidiously too. And I think it's so important. And I love the fact that this co-parenting college talks about and reflects on the difficult issues that you can face when co-parenting, but, but, but more importantly, reflects on the fact of what you can do. Because that's why when I talk to people, there seems to be such little hope sometimes, like, is this ever going to end? Because they always feel like they're trying to, you know, they're in a game of dodgeball without the only one without a ball. But you know, with, with what you're providing, it, it seems to me like it gives people hope, it gives them something tangible where they can gain some control of their life back and, and focus on what they can control. And we talk about that all the time, right? But but this is something tangible where they can start to see where, oh, okay, I can sort of structure my life a bit better. And yeah, the other parents, you know, a nightmare to deal with, but this is how I can manage it because otherwise it's a 24-7 job and you can go absolutely bonkers worrying about things that you you can't do anything about. And before you know it, your kids, you know, youth is past and, and you don't get a do-over, mm-hmm. right? You just don't. And, and and that's not to, you know, be overly dramatic in saying that because the, the majority of your relationship with your child will be as when they're an adult, right? This is just a small portion. 18 years is a small portion of it. Um, and yes, they're formative years, but um, boy, if they're all bogged down, you miss it, right? Lighten it. You have the ability to lighten this even though in the moments it feels so burdensome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we can make up words here, Glenda, it's okay. <laughs> no, that's a good word. <laughs> if you could think back to, like, I don't know how many people you've worked with, in the thousands and thousands, but are you seeing a trend at all? Do you see certain behaviors that are most common in co-parent relationships? And I'm just wondering if there's some kind of commonality that you're seeing. Oh, well, the traps, right? I mean, there's... Yeah. there's so many traps and landmines that you could fall into and they invite you in. I mean, they're not just like, oops, I stepped into one. It's like, oh, come here, come here, walk this way, right? Right. It, so, um, yeah. I what's the biggest one that you see? The biggest one or the most compelling one or dangerous one or one that's the hardest to deal with that people really struggle that's with? That's really tough. Trish, that's really is tough. It? I guess they're all bad. I see so many. Um, yeah. I don't know what the biggest one is. There's so many that you can fall into. Well, and that's a good point, right? Like, that there isn't just one, there's a whole bunch and it can be evolving. And and just because it's working now, doesn't mean it'll work later. I can know a lot of people talk about parenting plan, making it really loosey-goosey and, oh, everything's fine now. And I just think, yeah, but there's certain things that we can't always count on. And, and I think to a certain extent, it's great to keep things flexible, but uh, we have to rem- remember that life is fluid. You know, sometimes we have new partners that come in or new situations and you have to learn to adapt. So it's, it's good to know that it's never one and done. You always just have to adapt. And, and especially as kids get older, right? And that's where I think some parents have difficulty too. You mentioned earlier, when they're little, it's so much easier to control things. And as they get older, I find that's a struggle. And I don't know if a lot of parents are prepared for that. It can be very difficult when you're co-parenting. 
things like dating and all these other things can be an area where you and your co-parent will clash and butt heads. And I don't, I don't know how you navigate that. And I'm wondering from your perspective, these are living documents, right? Like parenting plans are living documents and they should be changed and updated quite regularly. Um, Because yeah, kids start having more and more and more of a say in their own lives and they should. That's the goal, right? They're individuating and becoming, you know, young adults. They should be doing that. But, you know, if I can just go back to what the biggest co-parenting trap is, Sometimes I think when I think of this stuff, I I think of all the micro activities that go into um, co-parenting. But if you were to transcend that and look at one of the big ones, what we consistently know, the research is quite clear on this, is that feeling of being in the middle between your parents, right? Mm -hmm. So feeling torn, wanting to do what dad wants. He wants me to play this instrument and mom wants me to play that. And dad wants this sport and mom wants that sport and feeling the pull of I can't please them both. That is particularly difficult for kids. And I can see that, you know, I, I, I've said to people before, because some people don't quite get that. And I guess if you don't put yourself in that position, even as an adult, that would be very difficult. You know, if you, if you don't do that, then I guess it doesn't make sense to people. But, you know, to me, it's no different than if someone said to me, okay, you have to choose one child to live, or you have to choose one child to love. Like I just could not do it. And I would, it would be devastating to me. I would think it would be similar. Oh, heartbreaking, right? Right. Yeah. Kids want to please their parents, right? Yeah, I just think you know, like you know, people have to really see it as that is not so much how you're protecting them from the other parent, or the other parent doesn't know what they're doing. I mean, all parents, moms and dads. I mean, everybody parents differently. Even when you're in the same darn house, that's how it works. I think that's the beauty of it. Sometimes I know growing up in a house where I could count on my dad doing, you know, not being the disciplinary, and my mom being like you just. Everyone had their role, and I like personally, I like that. It's just a personal preference. But I don't know if homogeneity is what we should be looking for, right? And I think we should be celebrating some of the differences in, in some cases. But I, I just, I just feel like you know, people are focusing a little bit too much on putting blame as opposed to just sometimes things are just things, and you know, you don't want to set it up where the child is afraid to say anything because then oh, mom's going to think this is dad's fault and you, you know, or, or vice versa. And sometimes it just is, and it's okay to have different perspectives. And I, I think that uh, we don't allow for that. You know, as soon as we divorce, it's like, that's it. We're on opposite sides and it's okay to have that. It's okay to be able to debate. As we talked about earlier, allow your kids to debate and you won't always agree on everything. I don't I think the world is meant for that. And that's okay. It's not, not everything is a hill to die on. Like you say. No, it's not. And and when your kid is in the middle, you know, you're in difficult territory when your kid is starting to say, I don't care. Yes. Right. I, I don't have a preference. Right. You know, chances are, I mean, maybe they don't have a preference, but often in these conflicted co-parenting situations, what they're really saying is, look, you guys figure it out. Tell me what I'm going to do so that I don't have to hurt anybody. I don't even care if you put me in a ballet and I really want to play rugby. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I don't even care at this point. I just want this, I don't want you guys to fight over it. And I don't want to have to pick. So oh, I'm so glad you said that. Know. Yeah, because, you know, there is that, 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 that fine line between getting your child's voice and, and allowing them some, some input and maybe doing that too much because it can be very overwhelming, you know. And I, I think for some kids, it must be, you know, their thought must go through their mind that can't you guys, you're supposed to be the adult. Can't you guys decide? Why do I have to decide everything? Whereas sometimes parents think they're doing the right thing because, you want your kids to have input and, you know, it's got to be tough because I don't know if there is a true formula as to how much to do that and how much to not do that. Is there? 
Well, no, I don't think anything's ever a formula. And I think that's part of the challenges with co-parenting is there isn't a, a complete right or wrong. That's for sure. We don't have that roadmap. So you're making judgment calls all the time. And and there are times when you've got one parent that is absolutely not going to yield. And do you decide to, is this the is this the particular argument that I'm just going to let that go, right? That's, those are tough calls. They're not always easy, clear-cut calls, right? What are your thoughts on, and these are just ideas popping into my head of things thinking, if I'm a kid and I'm going through this, is it beneficial to, you know, your child is, let's say, struggling with something that mom or dad has been doing or saying on the other side, and you, of course, don't want to be speaking ill of the other part, partner or whatnot. Is it appropriate then, if they say, you know, how do I handle it? Is it appropriate to to help them navigate that on what to say or what to do, or is it not? Well, number one is, and I love what you said, is, you know, if they ask, make sure they're asking. Make sure it's not, do you want me to listen? Do you want me just to listen? Or do you want some advice? Because right. make sure they ask. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, and I would start with, well, what ideas do you have? Do you have a plan, mm. right? And and look at their plan and talk about the pros and cons of their plans and 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 evaluate that with them so that they're helping generate their own solution, right? It's shocking sometimes, you know, when when you problem solve with your child and you say, well, what what would how would you solve this problem? Hmm. You know, sometimes their solutions are just brilliant, right? And they fit yeah. for them, right? And it might be, well, I think I could next time this happens, I could say to dad, please talk to mom about that rather than me, hmm. or um, you know. I'm not comfortable with that dad or maybe it's you know what I don't know how to say this to dad so I'm just not going to say it I just needed someone to talk to about this you never know what their solution is and it might not be a perfect solution but you got to be careful about imposing and saying you go in there and you tell your father this he has no right to say that to you he does not get to make this decision it's a we have joint decision making I will be a part yada 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 that does not help your child yeah no kidding that's uh, just you know, honestly, it just kind of gets my uh, stomach in a knot when I hear you saying that because I've heard that many, many times, and people saying that I think, oh God, how cringy and how awful for the kid. I can't imagine thinking. First of all, that's probably not how they would deal with things. That's not their style. But second of all, can you imagine? I couldn't imagine at this stage saying saying something like that to one of my parents in that way, and having someone tell me to because now my choice is, do I do it and mm-hmm. get backlash from that parent that I'm yelling at? Or do I not? And I get this parent who's giving me the advice is upset with me. Like you are totally in a double bind. You were damned if you do, damned if you don't. And I think, good God, I wonder if some of these kids shut down. And it's so easy to put your kid in the middle and you don't even realize it. Your advice can put them in the middle, which is why I always go back to this idea of let your kid tell you what they're feeling. Let them help generate a solution, you know, and sometimes that is so feels so backwards to how we're conditioned about how we should parent, right? I'll tell you I'm the parent and you will listen to me. And I think we've gone off the rails on that, right? Agree. I agree. You know, I find a lot of parents too, there's so much spinning in our brains, right? When going through divorce, especially with difficult co-parenting. So there tends to be sometimes this hyper acuity of, you know, is everything okay? Is everything going okay over there? How are you feeling? And constantly checking and Sometimes kids probably feel like micro-watched. And so I wonder what what is appropriate and what isn't in terms of, you know, if your child is, let's say, you know, awfully quiet and doesn't say a whole lot or doesn't care, sometimes they just don't, right? But you're right. Sometimes that can be very much a sign of, I just am too tired of all this BS. I just keep me out of it. How do you know as a parent then 
when you should be checking or when you should not be checking? Like, should we not, should we just kind of let it happen organically and they assume they will come to us if there's something wrong? Or do we inquire? Because I was worried about the inquiry as to, you don't want it to look like you're insinuating that there's something wrong over there. It could just be life. It could just be, I'm tired today. It could be just like, it could be anything. It's like how we all experience. Well, and I think it is about how are you going to ask that question? With what intention are you asking that question? Mm. And what are you going to do with the information that you get from that question? Right? Mm -hmm. I think that needs to be examined before you go there. I like that. Yeah. Because so often, you you know, well, this is a way to find out what's going on in the other parent's home. So what did you and, Mm -hmm. you know, what did you and dad do? Did, you know, and did, did Tina come with you? Right. You know, and is he still seeing that girl? Right. (laughs) Or whatever it is. It's really not about the child. It's, right. And, and it's tempting to do that, especially if you have a parent that's not collaborative and is a closed book and you have no idea what goes on during their parenting time. I mean, it, it's tough, right? Because you want to know. You you're, you parent in your heart all the time, not just on your weeks, right? Right, right, exactly. So I have one more question. And this is a little bit beyond perhaps the co-parenting college, but you know, you do see people. A lot of what we're talking about sounds like to me, there's, there's a lot of work and I have to, and a lot of parents have to really work on what, like you said before, their triggers and what, what is, I love that about what's your intention for asking that question to be really intentional about it. And if there's even an inkling as you're trying to, you know, dig deep into some of the dirty secrets, that's probably not the best question to be asking. But as much as you can be aware of that, it can be very difficult to get past some of those triggers that could be the relationship related or, you know, from your childhood or whatever. Are those some of the areas that you can work with with certain clients, depending on uh, what role you are are placed in when helping families? Do you, are you able to help parents with that sometimes? Yes, because there's lots of um, well. So I do co-parent coaching, right? And it might just be with one parent. It might be with the other. And I, I mean, it's probably a bit of an overstatement to say insight is everything. But sometimes it seems that way. Insight is just it's about emotional intelligence and we just know how powerful emotional intelligence is. And most of what I'm talking about here really does tap into that emotional intelligence, right? What is our motive knowing what's going on for us? Why we're asking what's in our hearts? What are we really trying to understand here? And what is the impact on the other party? That examination is huge, right? And getting really real. We're going to muck up. We are human, right? But knowing that you want to um, manage this well is a great, I mean, that's the starting block, right? Right. I want to do this better. And to do this better, you really do have to take a look at yourself. What contributions are you possibly making to this dynamic? And so often um, it's, okay, he's the bad guy. She's the bad guy. This is the whole problem here is them. And, And maybe you're right. Before you get there, clean up what's going on your end. Then Absolutely. see where the chips fall, right? I think, you know, this, these concepts, you know, what you talk about and help people with and co-parenting college, it was so interesting to see. I wish everyone could have a chance. And, well, they do, actually, you know, to try this because I, I really think it'll be a fascinating experiment to see, you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now, what generations could be like if we have resources like this at our fingertips because so many of us, just kind of rolled with it and did the best that we could as everybody does, but you didn't have those resources. But I really firmly believe that, you know, not everybody's going to change, of course, or utilize these, but for those of us who are really trying our best, but just we were mucking that way too much because we just don't have those resources, you know, we can make a, a substantial difference that can make differences for generations to come because then we're, 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 
creating a safe place for our kids who can then grow up to be adults and then can continue that on and not and we can kind of um, prevent and mitigate some damage that can be done, whether it's done deliberately or not. And I really, this gives me great hope. And I, I am excited about this co-parenting college. And I hope everybody out there gives it a try. If you're interested, Glenda, how is the best way for them to, to reach for yourself, but also co-parenting college? What's the best way for them to sign up? Yeah, it's just uh, www.coparentingcollege.com. It'll take you to the homepage and you can just explore and look around one of the things, Trish, if I can take a moment yeah. to say this, is that difficult co-parenting should not be confused with post-separation abusive co-parenting. And in the program, I talk about that. And I think it's really important because some of the tips and tricks we might give about best co-parenting practices are not useful, helpful mm-hmm. in a post-abuse a co-parenting situation. That doesn't mean that that there aren't gems and things in, in the program that, that are useful, but what I want to highlight is that you likely need specialized advice to navigate these situations. When you have a co-parent that is downright abusive and harmful to yourself or the kids, right? That's a whole different kettle of fish. Exactly. Yeah, and a great distinction, definitely. And I, something you said earlier is really quite important to you that so many of us don't realize the mistakes we're making, but also, too, in the same vein with abuse. So many, I, I was just speaking to some people today earlier, that uh, it takes quite a lot for them to finally realize that a lot of this behavior is abusive because of how we're taught in society as to what abuse actually is. There's, there's so much insidious behavior and comments that are coercive control and or abuse that people don't realize and are so used to it. They know they feel awful, but they don't quite think that that rises to the level of abuse, which in fact it does. And so you make a good point that a lot of these mechanisms and the, the knowledge that you're you're giving may not be appropriate for everyone, but you also do work with couples or families rather that are in that spectrum. Do you not with or if there's post separation abuse involved that you also in some instances can work with families like that? Well I have a, a specialty in that area, right? In assessing family violence and domestic violence within uh, conflicted co-parenting dynamics. Exactly. So one-stop shop here, in my opinion. Yeah. I think it's great because it's, you know, so much out there is a, is about, you know, divorce and divorce is tough and whatnot, but it's just a whole other ball of wax, ball of wax like you said, when you have difficult co-parenting and then the other aspect with post-separation abuse, it can be, well, it is it's devastating. It can be paralyzing and everything. And to know that there, and it's, it's, it's a very specialized, you're so right. It's a very specialized area and not everyone can do it or wants to, or is interested. So if that is an area or if that you're experiencing that, definitely uh, contact Glenda and uh, discuss with her uh, whether or not uh, you can work together and definitely, definitely, definitely take a look. As soon as you're done listening, take a look at co-parenting college and sign up. You won't be disappointed. I've looked at a lot of it and I love it. I wish I had a thought of it. But she beat me to it. But it's just such wonderful information. I so wish that I had this way back when, when I was parenting. But I can tell you, when my kids eventually have kids, I will be gifting it to them. That's for sure. Even when they aren't divorced, I don't care. This stuff is is gold. So take a look. And thanks again, Glenda. We are definitely going to do this again. There's so much to talk about. And I think what we're going to have to start doing is when we go for coffee or for a walk, we'll have to. I'll have to record that then too. And uh, you just have so much to share. And it's just always so great to to hear your your vast knowledge. And it's everybody's everybody's so fortunate to be able to, if they can't work with you, at least to be able to hear your wisdom on the podcast. So thanks again for coming. Trish, thank you. You are uber complimentary to me. Thank you. (laughs) It always feels good to chat with you. Yes, definitely.
Shit I Learned from My Divorce is written by me, Trish Guys, and produced by Barry Guys. Audio editing and sound design is by Barry Guys. I would love to have you tell a friend or a family member about this podcast, and you can help me share the important concepts I cover by leaving a rating and review of Shit I Learned from My Divorce on Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. To stay up to date on the latest from me or to contact me, visit my website, trishguys.com. That's T-R-I-S-H. G-U-I-S-E. You can also find me on Twitter and LinkedIn at Trish Guys and on Facebook and Instagram at Trish Guys Divorce Coach. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. This has been Shit I Learned from My Divorce with me, Trish Guys, Divorce and Pre-Mediation Coach. Until next time, be good to yourself and to your kids.